You're listening to the Simple Growth Podcast, the show that helps business owners get their life back. Here's your host, Mike Callahan. Hey, welcome back to the SA Weekly Talk Show. I know we've been taking a little break for the last three to four weeks. Things have been kind of crazy uh, in the lawn care industry far as Simple Growth. So I want to get back to a regular weekly uh, basis here and coming back on a regular um, routine here. So couldn't think of a better guest to open it back up in a regular fashion than Eli Hall of AMS Landscaping. Uh, Eli and I go way back uh, with the Masterminds group with uh, other other SA members such as Garrett Matthews and Chad Cranston. And uh, Eli, I just really appreciate you taking a few minutes here and diving in. But um, some major things that you're doing right now out in the Arizona market that um, a lot of people in the rest of the country aren't doing. So I wanted to see if I can get in your head for a little bit the next 30, 40 minutes and just go in and understand why you're doing and how you're doing these things to go out and really start to dominate that market. Uh, from my understanding, this is probably a second generation business started out in 1969. So if uh, if people have, haven't heard of you, don't know about you or AMS Landscape, you might just give us a quick background of how you cut your teeth in the lawn care industry and uh, where you've started to, to where you're at now. And uh, we'll kind of dive in and get some content for the uh, SA users. Awesome. Um, yeah, I took over my grandfather's business. Who uh, He moved here um, in, from California in 1969, started a, a lawn care one truck operation. Um, he didn't have much of an education, so you know he made money, good income from it. Uh, but I knew he was getting old, and, and uh, I, I went to go to work for him full time. I was working for him on the weekends, but I decided I really wanted to push it, and I knew he wasn't going to be doing it forever. And nobody else was really stepping up to the plate, so I took it over. I was 26 um, when he finally uh, passed on, and I had uh, I took the business over. I knew I didn't want to push him over for the rest of my life, so my big thing was just grow it to where I could get enough team members, enough employees to be doing the work for me that I wouldn't have to push them over. And uh, for me, that that number was three trucks. And so I just knew if I just kept hustling uh, and just growing, uh, growing my sales month by month, looking at my P&L through QuickBooks at the time, I, you know, this was back in 90, 1999, 2000, 2002, during that time where I was really growing. Uh, I've been doing this for a while now. And uh, it, that was the case. I mean, once I got to three trucks, it really, it really was a differentiator. Um, I, I haven't pushed more since. Awesome. No, I appreciate you giving us a background on that. I know knowing you for a long time. Uh, one of the things I want to touch on before we even get into the, the meats and potatoes of this is uh, one thing that I admire about you is you've got this work-life balance. And uh, if you're not climbing a mountain, you're, you're, you're running or biking or doing something. And um, I guess it kind of, kind of dials into my first question of, of, of almost casting a vision or your core values personally versus your business, uh, more interest probably in the business core values, but um, is, is there certain things that you do to cast a vision to your new employees and, and try to create what's important to you and the business um, so it's transparent to the people working for you or maybe potentially looking to work for you in the future? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, core values are really big with us. I have my core values right behind me here on the wall. Uh, we have it in, in all our offices here. Uh, basically, they're, they're the best part of me, uh, uh, what I believe is the best part of our business, what makes us strong. I mean, I wrote down my favorite attributes about my best team members um, to come up with these, and I, real, I really feel like they stood out. And once I had them, it really, it was amazing. Like, at, at first I thought it was kind of silly, but once I started hiring people and I explained what our core values were and why it was important and what they meant to us, it just gave us more purpose and people get excited about it. They feel like they're, they're a part of a team. They're part of something larger. 
I, you know, I always tell them if I'm not around, follow the values. I mean, if, if you, if you came back to me, one of my team members said, Hey, you know, a, a client had an issue with us. I was just trying to exceed expectations is one of our core values. Um, and they just, they got upset. Um, I mean, I can't be upset for somebody that honors our values. So it's, it's really is, it's bigger than me. And, uh, it enables me not to, not to be around, it enables my team to, to act without me. Uh, so I can go hiking in the morning <laughs> and do and do the other stuff uh, and grow because you can't be a part of everything all the time. We have about 20 people working uh, here now at AMS and there's no way I could be a part of what everyone's doing. I, they've got to have a bigger idea, a bigger vision of what we're trying to accomplish in order to move, get the ball, you know, move the move the ball down the road. I guess I'm not sure the term I want to use here. Close enough. You're moving the needle, needle for sure. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I know uh, even at Callahan's locker, we, we spent probably close to 20, maybe $25,000 plus travel, uh, actually going out to an area near you guys with uh, Infusionsoft and Elite Momentum and Forum and, and, and building that mission, vision, values. Um, and I don't know if you're seeing it, but that was a huge takeaway for us was attracting that millennial worker. Because a lot of times we were having a lot hard, hard, a real hard time retaining that millennial worker. But when we aligned them to a culture, a mission, a vision, values, it wasn't just a paycheck. It was a culture. It was what was behind you on the wall, what you stood for. That was your rallying cry. So that helped retain those employees. So I, I really, I want to congratulate you to go out and do that because not many people in the service industry are taking the time and investment to do that. And I, I know just knowing you the five or six years I've known you from where you were at before, very successful. Now it's ultra successful. And now it seems like you have a really large team around you dialed into one common goal. So I, I, I got to assume that that creating and casting that vision was a big part of that that scaling. It's allowed you to still climb the mountains and look like you're a young 25 something. So uh, that's huge. Uh, it, 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 we're talking about dialing into these core values and specific things that you guys stand for. Uh, one of the things that, that came up to top of mind was, um, I know one of the big things in your market specifically knowing you're actually going out to that Arizona market that you're in is um, something that you would call niching or your ideal client. Um, so it sounds, if I'm going to make some uh, assumptions here, when you go out to go out and grow and scale that business as you did, it wasn't a haphazard just throwing a net over anything you could get. It was something very specific and it looked like something very specific. So is there a certain ideal client that you're looking for that has enabled you to basically standardize your operations or are you going out for every kind of property you get your hands on? So in the beginning, you know, I used to tell people I don't turn money down, <laughs> uh, but as you grow, um, and as you scale, what you realize is you can't automate and systemize uh, taking on every call. Um, if you took, they say, if you chase two rabbits, you won't catch, you know, either rabbit. So the the key here is build systems and training processes and procedures around your ideal client, and that's kind of what we've done. We've decided that our ideal client is um, a lot size of fifteen thousand square foot or smaller. Um, we can ballpark the price kind of over the phone many times. If clients send us pictures, we can we can give them a price, you know, via the pictures through email or text message. Um, but what I was realizing is when I took on the larger clients, when I took on the, and when I'm slow, we still occasionally will go off our beating path, but you got to figure your system's got to be in place for busy season. Uh, if, if you lose a, a key member, you need training processes in place, procedures in place, and if you're taking everything on, it's going to be hard to train to that. Um, so if if you build a system based off your niche, which for us, we, you know, it's real easy. We can get get a client in and out. I don't have to be a part of it. I don't even have to do any of the estimate. We can we can get it in our system. We know how to handle it. We know how to the procedure of 
of maintaining it. And we just have systems all around our ideal client. Now in the winter time, when it slows down for us, we tend to, well, you know, uh, Bob doesn't have much to do today. So, you know, maybe we'll take on a job that we wouldn't normally take on just because, you know, we're trying to pick up hours for our team. We all do that. So does that make okay. sense? No, it makes absolutely sense. And I, I, I think that that is something that we run across even um, working with a lot of service autopilot members as, as certified advisors is a lot of times when somebody comes in, they're trying to be everything to everybody and they can't, it's not a predictable system. And that's where it draws the business owner back in on the day-to-day -day, uh, grind and firefighting. Um, and one of the things, and I, I got to give credit where credit's due, I, I had the ability to uh, sit down on one of Debbie Sardone's um, talks a few weeks ago in San Diego at the SA regional event um, right before that. And she's actually in the home cleaning industry. But one of the things that resonated me, and I'm kind of curious your thoughts on this, because it kind of goes right into that um, systemize and automate is um, she almost thought that if we were giving the consumer 100 or 110% each week, we were doing them a, dis a disjustice. And before you you know, crucify me here. The reasoning behind this was they're only really looking for 85% of consistency each week. And if we went up and beyond our standard service offering to maybe pick up the garbage can and drop that off every week, or we tried to clean out their gutters occasionally, it took a standardized system and tweaked it. So if, um, you know, Joe and Bob are, are mowing and maintaining the landscape and Joe and Bob end up leaving or get hurt and can't work, it's not going to seem consistent product day after day. So not only did we want to go for an ideal niche of uh, lot size or type of property, but we wanted to have that aligned, just what you're saying, the exact standardized service offering and not really vary from that service offering because the consumer really, if we're there and we're giving them you know, 85% of our best, but it's consistent, they want that predictable on-time service. And when we start exceeding what the actual scope of the work is or going outside of the scope of our ideal client, that's where things get a little bit wonky. So I don't know if that makes any sense to you, but that, that resonated with me. And it said, wait a minute. So not only do we need an ideal client slash like property, but we need to have an ideal service offering that matches it. That isn't going to be varying from each crew to each crew. I, I agree 100%. Um, I use the analogy. Um, I like, you know, I have, in, we have in and out burger out here. I don't know if you guys, I don't, I don't think you guys do how in the, um, in the, so maybe McDonald's will be a better analogy. But McDonald's, McDonald's doesn't make the best hamburger, but they sell more than anyone else, right? Yep. So um, what do they sell? They sell consistency quick. So if we can come up with a model that's consistent and quick, it can be profitable, it can be scalable, it can grow. Now, if you make the best hamburger in the world, maybe, maybe you do, but uh, you probably don't sell as many as McDonald's. Um, so you can be the absolute best service in the world at 110%. Or you can be Ray Kroc at eighty-five percent. Does that make sense? I, don't know. Exactly, I never thought of that analogy, but that is exactly where I was going. And I, and I think that um, it, one of the biggest fears, myself at least, when I let go of the reins of the business, is um, not only did we have to train the employees, but we almost had to train the owner to get into the mindset that eighty-five or ninety percent is okay, because that's all the business or the the customer is is demanding. And when we go out and niche into a specific type of customer and a specific replicatable service that doesn't involve the owner, we're able to give them that consistency without the business owner being married to that thing. So it's exactly where I was going. And I appreciate kind of bringing that full circle. But I mean, if you're listening to this, you're, you're scared to put, you know, take the reins off and let this thing go. It's going to be really hard to grow and scale a business and still have a life outside of this looking like Eli mountaintop every morning uh, without having that standardization of your, your, your ideal client and the service offering itself. Um, and then kind of diving back into the, the you know, the mountaintop uh, panoramic shots that you're taking, 
video, social media, it looks like you are absolutely blowing up across a lot of these platforms. I'm curious your breakdown of, um, we'll kind of go down the list, but right off the bat, organic versus paid uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and the big the big uh, elephant in the room right now is kind of uh, LinkedIn, but nobody's talking about it. Um, but Instagram and LinkedIn, I think, are, are starting to catch up in, in, a, in a major way right now. So uh, if you wouldn't mind just, just kind of letting us in, is your thought process, how you attack organic versus paid, and then maybe each social platform. And then I've got another question about some of this rebranding or chopping up of some of the content you're doing. So it looks like you are making content 24-7. I know you personally, we hang out at uh, high find a couple other places in AZ, so I know that's not the case, but uh, <laughs> you are you got this this uh, presentation right now that you you are literally on camera 24-7. So um, at first, just just real quick breakdown of what is organic versus paid traffic, if, no, if people aren't familiar with that, and then what's your take on that? Make sure you subscribe to the show so you'll never miss a podcast. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Yeah, so um, just, just video in general. Um, I, I don't, I'm not getting, I'm not as proficient in the paid traffic yet. I'm still learning it. Um, my con, Learning the conversion rate and the ROI. For me, uh, videos um, are just, I, I, I read the book um, Utility, which is uh, basically Marcus Sheridan wrote the book. We they ask, we tell. Is that the is that the name of the book? They ask, you answer. Marcus yeah, Sheridan. Right. Uh, and I actually read that one too. But I, I read I read Utility, which is basically the same. It's about Marcus's story, um, and I read it probably about five years ago. And I knew for years I needed to do video. So I like the the ideas that I got out of the book. I, I like the ideas I got out of Marcus's book. Um, and I just started doing video. Like I, I did this three years ago. I just started doing, I committed to a video a month and I just answered clients questions. Literally that's where I got the idea was from the original book and the original story and utility. And it took me a year to realize the engagement I was getting. I started on YouTube. I just posted the videos on YouTube. I, I was terrible at it. I even told people I, I just need to get at least a terrible video put on YouTube at least once a month. And it was just my way of just doing it because it's not comfortable. It's not easy. Uh, in the beginning, you're not good at it, and that's okay. There's not a lot of people watching, thank goodness. Um, and after that first year, I realized I was getting a lot of engagement. And then I realized I need to post this other places, and I need to do more videos. So now, the last couple of years, I've been posting a video a week, and I, you know, I've been doing it on YouTube forever. And then I realized uh, I need to add these to the other platforms. I'm putting it on Facebook. I'm putting it on Instagram, um, uh, LinkedIn. I, I just and, and even Twitter. Like I post it everywhere. And what I've realized, I get a lot more organic reach on Instagram and LinkedIn. Um, I feel like LinkedIn's kind of underrated. Like we don't think of LinkedIn for looking for work, but I, I get I get jobs from it. Um, I get way more people soliciting to me. But you know, I'm front of mind. Uh, you know, I'm always in someone's face. They know I still do what I do. They know that I I'm able to help. And more importantly, if you're always posting images of your before and after work, they see exactly what you do. So I'm not just doing the videos, I'm also doing before and after pictures. Um, I'm getting a lot of engagement. I'm just trying to brand myself, kind of, if you ever watched the movie about, about the Facebook story, like in the beginning, I'm just trying to be cool with it. Like I, I'm not trying to turn it into the business. I'm not trying to sell ads yet. Um, I feel like I'm still trying to figure this out. I'm just trying to give value. Like the way Marcus said, you know, he's just giving value. If I figure if I give enough value, people are just going to start looking at me as the authority in my space here in the Phoenix area because no one's doing it. 
I mean, literally no one's doing it in my community. I'm sure in a lot of these other towns across the country, the average landscaper's not doing it either. No, I couldn't agree with you, but no one is doing this. Uh, there's a handful of, of guys and girls that I know, lawn care, home cleaner doing this, but, but that's the anomaly. So if you are watching this, the biggest takeaway, and, and I, I see Eli's gonna agree, unless, unless you're in the greater Phoenix area, this is a bad idea. But outside of that, <laughs> um, I would say the biggest return on investment in your time right now is become the local expert, ask the hard questions that are people are asking you and answer the questions that no one wants to answer and be that person that's going to address it. I went out and had a hot water heater break a couple couple weeks ago and I, I literally Googled, why wouldn't a pilot light stay on in a hot water heater? Well, somebody locally in my market, I was shocked, was actually doing this for HVAC hot water heaters. Um, and this guy literally, Eli, this is pretty cool. The guy actually, and you could probably do this in irrigation, is the guy literally broke out why it wasn't probably happening. He had a YouTube video, how to actually fix it yourself based on two different uh, manufacturers he actually gave you the shopping list of the parts you needed for home depot and lowe's separately yep and, and awesome. knowing me i'm lazy and definitely not uh <laughs> not into handy help home improvement so I, I literally called this guy and said well that's exactly what i need just come down here let me know what it is and, and you're hired i didn't even need to talk to the guy but the sale was already done before i even talked to him uh just like in marcus sheridan's book uh, he he referenced the stat of 70 percent of all sales are made before the consumer even talks to you so I think that's where it's really powerful. And I'm seeing, at least from the other side of the country, the growth of AMS and the scaling of that is now that you've got 18 to 24 months of this content and you're going out and closing these sales through content give before they even get to you. So I think the biggest takeaway right now that I can share, and I'm assuming that Eli would agree, is if you're not in the content game, do it. It's awkward. Uh, we both hate doing it from what we've seen. Uh, I still don't think I'm good at it. Uh, but the more you get in there, at least people uh, think you're good at it. And the more quirky it is, honestly, it relates to people because you're not a salesperson. You're just one of us on the other end of this camera. So um, that would be my biggest suggestion for anybody watching this is, you know, make sure um, if you're not doing anything else, get some kind of consistent content game and consistency is the thing. So, um, and, and you mentioned LinkedIn and, and Instagram and that, that seems to be where it's going. Uh, maybe not for a residential um, setting, but if you're in commercial landscape main, maintenance or uh, commercial uh, cleaning, LinkedIn's a great place because you can actually go in and target people by their actual job description. So that's a huge takeaway that we learned with um, even with Callahan's is that we, we were able to go in and target property managers based on their actual um, job title. So that that's another thing. LinkedIn paid advertising a little bit more expensive, but your return on investment actually is usually uh, even greater because it's really targeted, focused advertising based on the actual decision maker. So it allows you to jump that gatekeeper. Yep, uh, yep. And I guess as we kind of go into um, the end of this, I know you've got a limited time and I want to be respectful of that, is um, disruption. We know what's going to be happening. I know what SA4, Jonathan Toshnik of the Lawn Care Millionaire and SA, uh, talked about the Black Swan event. What is going to be that major yeah, disruptor yeah. on the horizon? Uh, he predicted part of it would be a national competitor coming in and trying to crush the little guys and girls out there. Um, and, and, that, and that actually, to an extent, almost really happened. Where there was a, um, a national competitor, I won't mention their name, but they were literally going out and trying to dominate uh, in a almost like an internal franchise model, all residential lawn care companies in the United States. Um, and I know this company kind of has pulled back a little bit, but their goal for almost a year and a half right after his talk was to literally go out and dominate that. Um, actually, I believe the company was named Canopy. They're out of the uh, the Carolinas. I haven't seen as much of them, but I know that that was their push. That would have been a major disruption if they were able to go out and 
basically be the Brickman of uh, or Brightview now of residential lawn care. Now, this has been done in a commercial setting, but not residential setting. So that was going to be a major disruption. And, and some of those southern markets around them definitely uh, were disrupted. Uh, another couple of things coming through in uh, at least the Dallas market is automated lawnmowers, uh, robotic mowers. So that's another disruption that that technology may not be 100% there. But we've got a couple of these things on our horizon, whether they're in home cleaning or lawn, or lawn care. Um, so how are you preparing for disruption? I know you're in the, the mecca of all things uh, disruption with Uber, with automated cars and pretty much everything else out in AZ right now. So is there certain things that you're doing to prepare for this disruption? Or are you looking to actually adopt new technology? What's your take on it? Um, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Always looking ahead. ahead. What I, uh, I uh, getting a little feedback. I'm getting a little pushback here on this end. Oh, never mind. Okay, so uh, for for us here in the Southwest, Desert Southwest, it's not wall to wall grass. Uh, that's a big difference from a lot of other markets. I see a lot of um, uh, there's this uh, Green Pal. It's uh, it's supposed to be an app just trying to Uberize lawn care, and and they're like out of Kentucky. I can't remember where they're out of. But they, they open a market here and, and I'm trying to adapt to use it, try to understand it because I don't want it to disrupt me. Um, but what we found with it is it's it, it's not like it's not wall to wall grass. Like like in uh, I'm sure in Rochester, where you're at, um, you're bidding just grass. And here in, the, in our Phoenix market, it's just not that way. Um, you have to bid the whole property, but majority of your property is not grass. It's mostly bushes and trees. And there's a spot of grass in the middle of the yard. And what is that? I did not start you off, but just if no one has ever been to the Arizona market, and if you're from anywhere else in the country, it's like the twilight zone of landscape maintenance. I just, if you could put some, so just some, some, some context in it, but we're talking maybe a couple hundred square feet of turf, uh, gravel, or you guys call it granite in the, the front yard. So they're spraying pre emergent and post emergent. Yep. Uh, they're trimming shrubs at every three or four weeks on a return, return basis. Um, and, and we're talking like five to six inches of growth on these shrubs, the amount of debris that these guys are picking up is unbelievable. So the way they've got to formulate the business there is just different than anywhere in the country. So I didn't want to cut you off, but I want to put some perspective of what you guys are dealing with there is it's, it's not your traditional landscape maintenance. It's, um, it's a little bit of everything all at once in each visit. So yeah, it would yeah. be hard to standardize in an app. It's kind of where I'm going with. Yeah. That, well, that's exactly the problem that we're having. Um, and it's, I, you know, I don't see it as a problem. I, I, I see it as an opportunity. So, um, for us, a disruption would be something possibly that could do that. But you know, each house so in in other parts of the country, you separate bush trimming from lawn mowing, correct? Well, here in Phoenix, we, it's like it's a package deal. We do a little bit of the trimming each time because there's just a ton of bushes. Because instead of grass throughout the whole yard, you just have a whole ton of bushes. Um, and then because there's not as much grass, people will go sometimes if their landscaper doesn't show up, they'll they'll call us like two months later where it probably wouldn't be feasible in New York market to let your grass grow for two months without mowing it. It would be a forest, right? Well, here in the Phoenix area, you can almost get away with it. And then what ends up happening is we get a rain, which is rare, but when we do it, it makes the weeds in the granite go like crazy. And then we got to go there and do a huge cleanup. And it's usually like a $200 job to catch it up. Um, so it's not as, it's not as systemized and uh, it's harder to systemize and automate here. Uh, with that said, I'm still trying to figure it out. Like I, I want that disruption. And so, in the future, I look out to figure out who's able to do that or, or how we can do that. Um, and I'm sure at some point it's going to be automated, just like every everything else will get automated. So it's a matter of figuring it out. Yeah, and automation doesn't necessarily have to be uh, AI, artificial intelligence, or robotics. 
Uh, one of the things that, it, it, that you seem to be automating is, it, if I understood you right real quickly as you were talking about is you're actually maybe requiring customers to take pictures of their home and submit it in so you could automate the process of the estimate through visual representation and physically having to go out there. So I'm assuming that's got to streamline the process if there's certain things in those pictures that have to be documented. We, uh, we Another customer that we talked with uh, in the pond industry um, is basically, he's not going out doing maintenance estimates for uh, these, these pond features in these yards. He requires through the service autopilot form, people to attach certain pictures and he gives them directions of what they need to attach and, and what they need for an estimate. Is that kind of how you're approaching that or is that different in your market? Um, yeah, uh, so um, we, we do, we can ball, kind of ballpark the price based off the lot size, but because of the current, uh, the fact that our properties are all different, I do, I ask people to send us pictures. So that's kind of how we've been automated. That's the easiest way we can figure out to do it. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it's genius. I, I honestly had never, never even thought of that until we talked to this gentleman, you know, a few years ago and it was, um, it was good. And you kind of put the owners on the, the owner. Uh, of then representing what the property looks like. And I think this guy's got a disclaimer and they're saying, hey, if the pictures you're sending us aren't representative of what we're actually walking into, then there's an hourly charge thereafter. But I, you know, one of the things that Jonathan always talks about is, um, Jonathan Ptoshek talks about is creating the least amount of friction. People, A, don't wanna talk to you, they want instant results. So if you can empower them to walk out with a smartphone and snap four or five pictures or a quick video and be able to return that estimate within minutes instead of days, you are going to be the quickest to market with that estimate and probably win the job, even if your price is, you know, almost significantly higher because they, people want that instant gratification. Yeah. Um, so I think it's just really interesting the way you're approaching uh, somewhat of a different landscape maintenance market across the country for myself. Um, but there's so many similarities, no matter where you're in uh, the country or what industry you're in, these are things that could be applicable to just about any, any service industry. I mean, you could potentially have, somebody take a picture of each room if you're doing home cleaning that avoids you driving out waiting for them to be home to do an estimate in home yep so i that, it, very very interesting um so I, I guess in closing here any any closing thoughts any things that you, you recommend rec recommend going into 2019 that um you're looking to do yourself or you recommend that uh, maybe some wins or losses that you had along the way that that people uh would be a good takeaway from this uh yeah just just get started uh that's probably my biggest takeaway take especially with video just get started. Um, even even if you're making a crappy video, um, start commit to once or twice a month making a video and posting it. I can't tell you everything I've learned because you learn, right? You 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 make a mistake, you learn, or you you make a realization that oh my god, there's way more value out of this. And when I first started um, making videos, making content, it was so hard to come up with ideas. Um, and I got to tell you three years in it, it like the ideas just pop all over the place. Like I'm talking to somebody like, I need to make a video idea on that. I, I need to make a video on that. It's, it's incredible how it comes at you. And then you, then you start realizing what else you can use for video. Like I'm going to make a video on hiring somebody. We made a video on our core values and I require every new employee to watch it. Cause I explain like what, why we have our core values. So when I, when, when they fill out that application, like when I run the ad on Craigslist, or wherever I post Indeed or wherever, I put the link to that, to my video on our core values. So they understand what they're a part of. They either are gonna drink the Kool-Aid or they're not, right? They're either gonna be on board or they're not. You want good fits on your team. And there's so many places you can use video and content. And I, I can't even tell you the ideas you'll have after you start, but you have to just begin and start. That, that would be my biggest takeaway. That'd be my biggest give. Awesome, brother. I can't thank you enough for your time. Definitely need to get back out to AZ. And I mean, just I'm telling you, 
he, he is just being honest and truthful. I remember when we were in Airbnb one time in Scottsdale and Eli literally were, and I were taking turns walking in the backyard and we must've had 50 different tapes for one 30 second video. They were all awful. One <laughs> shot, first draft is better. No draft, go out and get it done. And I think I understand that video with the core values because now if you have a new hire at six in the morning showing up, you don't have to be there to explain it. That video nope. does it. For you. Absolutely. It. All right, brother. I appreciate it. Thanks for everything you do. And uh, hopefully see you out in AZ sooner or later. Awesome. Uh, Take it easy. Buddy. Check us out next week. SA Weekly Talk Show coming back at you. Same place next week. I'll be announcing the time and our next guest coming up soon. Thanks, Bob. If you like this show, you might want to check out our resources at www.startsimplegrowth.com. While you're there, enter to win an estimator chatbot. Mike Callahan is available for private coaching.